Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. If, uh, Things have come up in your Bible reading or Bible study, or if you just have questions in general about the Bible that you'd like to ask, I'd love to talk with you about them. Or if you have a prayer request or something going on in your life that you'd like to talk about or have prayer for, we'd love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We want to say welcome to everyone who is listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the show. We're glad you tuned in today. We also want to say hi to everybody listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. We also want to say hi to everybody who listens on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So glad to have you with us as well. I just had my first caller from Truth FM on Monday, so I was excited about that. And all you Truth FM listeners, I know you're out there. Love to hear from you and have some more calls from you because um, we hear a lot from the people on the East Coast and we hear a lot from people here locally in Colorado uh, and Wyoming, but we'd love to hear more from the people out in Truth, listen to Truth FM out in Tennessee. Uh, just a reminder that those of you who listen on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing the program on a one-week delay. So you get to call in and you get to ask your question and have your prayer requests or whatever you call about. And then the next week, you get to tune in and hear yourself on the radio. So that's a cool opportunity, and we invite you to do that. Just a reminder, though, that you're listening on a one-week delay. Uh, we also want to give a big hello to everyone who listens online. We know there's so many of you who listen on the mobile app or on the website. Welcome to the program. If you don't have that mobile app yet, uh, you should go get it because it's really good, and it's a great way to listen to Grace FM wherever you are. If you're away from your car or wherever you listen to the radio usually, you know you can pull up that uh, Grace FM app, and you can listen to the, the programs that are live on the air wherever you're at. And, of course, you can always listen in your browser. That's at gracefm.com. Again, the number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720 336 0897. I'm your host every Monday on Calvary Live. Today is Wednesday, though, and I'm filling in for Pastor Ed Taylor, who is not available today, so I'll be filling in for him uh, today and tomorrow. Just a few things about myself. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church located in Longmont, Colorado. And our church, for those of you in the local area here around Longmont, uh, we'd like to personally invite you to just Come and join us for worship and the Word on a Sunday morning. So we meet at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in the St. Vrain Memorial Building in downtown Longmont. So we're right on the corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street, just right downtown, one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak, uh, just right on the corner 
of Long's Peak and Kaufman. So we're on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is our city park here in Longmont. And our services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And if you would like more information, you can find more at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can listen to past messages or find directions and all that good stuff that you do on church websites. And you can also hear our sermons. We have a show here on Grace FM that airs every weekday at 2.30 p.m. And Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So 2.30 p.m. every weekday and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Uh, hopefully you're in church at that time, but if for whatever reason you're not, uh, feel free you know, turn on your radio, listen to Grace FM. You can hear a Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So again, that's whitefieldschurch.com. Right now, we're in a series right now at Whitefields that I'm personally really excited about. I've been enjoying it. I feel like, and it's just God has been already using it so much. We're, we, we're now, we've done two weeks of a six-part series uh, called The Trouble Is. And in this series, we're answering and addressing some of the biggest hurdles and problems that people have, things that people say, you know, this is the thing that's hardest for me to accept about Christianity. So it's basically we're, we're wanting to address some of the big questions that people ask and be honest about them and, and, and really give honest answers and seek to have a dialogue about them. This all began because we did a poll online that we shared with a lot of people and asked people to give us feedback. You know, what are, what are the biggest hurdles for you in embracing Christianity? And we got feedback from people who are Christians, people who are not Christians, people who are not even sure whether they're Christians or not. They're not even sure where they're at with faith. And uh, we got so much response and we learned a lot from it. First of all, we learned that a lot of people who are Christians still struggle with doubts. They have sincere questions and they're not doubting in the sense of they don't want to believe. They're doubting in the sense that they absolutely do want to believe, but they, if they're honest with themselves, they, they have some things that they wonder about. I wonder if there's even any of you listening today and you say, hey, that's me. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you about those things. Feel free to give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. Um, the other thing that we learned from this is that a lot of the things that people say are barriers. So let's say people who don't believe or who are not Christians. A lot of the reasons why they give for why they are not Christians or why they don't believe are, are really things that we as Christians have really good answers to. And some of those barriers they might find if we can dialogue about them that they aren't really the barrier that they thought they were. You know, I think about C.S. Lewis in that sense that you know he, he became a um, professor at Oxford University and he was an avowed atheist. And he said, you know, I could never believe in Christianity until he met some other professors, people like him, uh, who were even higher up professors than he, were, he was. And they got to talking and he realized that those things that he had previously thought were barriers to him embracing Jesus and being a Christian were no longer barriers. And so we hope to do that same exact thing as we dialogue with people. And, um, and it's just been really exciting. So the first week we talked about the Bible. And uh, we had some great questions about this on Monday when I hosted the show. If there's anybody else who'd like to talk about biblical inerrancy or any different manuscripts, you know, how did we get the Bible in the way that we have it? How, how much can we really trust that the Bible hasn't been changed? I'd love to talk to you about that. And then this past week, we talked about the issue of hypocrisy, which I thought was a really interesting one because according to our poll, which matched up with another Barna poll that we found, um, hypocrisy was actually the biggest response as to why people struggle to embrace Christianity, which is really interesting because that's not an evidential thing, right? That's not something that you can either prove or disprove. Uh, or it doesn't disprove or prove Christianity. 
it, it's just a, an experiential thing. And so I thought that was really interesting. So we addressed that subject. And uh, if there's any, maybe there's some of you listening today, and that's the exact thing that you struggle with. I'd love to talk with you. So we've got some callers. Let's go to Dennis in Colorado Springs. Hey, Dennis. Hey, how's it going? Doing great. What's up? Hey, I had a quick question. I was listening on uh, on Monday about the inerrancy of uh, Scripture dialogue. Yeah. And I, you know, appreciate, um, you know, everything you taught and everything. And I, you mentioned that the, the, the next best thing as far as quantities of manuscripts, I believe, was like Homer's Iliad or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I said that's the kind of the next closest thing that we have that's kind of comparable to the Bible in the sense that it's there are a lot of manuscripts of it. It was copied um, very exactingly, and it's from a generally the same era. Gotcha. So, so I'm a, I'm an engineer, so I do a lot of analysis, and um, so I'm, I've always been interested. You know, I, I love the statistics on the inerrancy of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if if anybody's ever looked into the inerrancy of like the Iliad for comparison to say that you know with the 5,000 or 500 manuscripts of the Bible it's 99.4 percent inerrant and then you know the next best thing which is you know one of the Homer's writing it was you know x percent inerrant have you ever ran across that I haven't, but I'm guessing that somebody has done a study on that because um, quite a bit of work has been done on this topic of the inerrancy of the Bible and the fact that it hasn't changed. And especially a lot of that has been done in in the last hundred years. And it was really also fueled by the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, more and more people were like, wow, let's let's actually run those numbers, kind of like what you're saying. Um, So I don't know the the answer to that question, but uh, I know that people have done it. Right, so they've kind of compared how close do these manuscripts match up, and I'll tell you that um, my guess, and it's I think it's a fairly informed guess, but I I can't say that it's based on concrete knowledge. From what I've heard, you know, is that as that you have these ancient books and manuscripts, stuff like Aristotle, Plato's writings, things like that. Some of those even predate the New Testament, but not the Old Testament. Um, the issue with those is that there are quite a few discrepancies, you know, because the Jewish people were so exacting in the way that they handled scripture. Like I mentioned uh, on Monday, when we read about the scribes, that was a whole class of people whose job was just to make copies handwritten of the Bible. And the way they would do it is it's not like they would just do it in a back room, you know, and try and bust these things out quickly so they could make some money. No, it's like you had three guys. One, one was writing and copying and the other two were just looking over his shoulder making sure he didn't make any mistakes and any mistake they found they would immediately correct and annotate and then they also had proofreaders after that so i mean they're very exacting cool and you don't have that level of exactingness with um people copying other things that's i guess that was my main point yeah i i guess i'll i'll do some research i've always thought that'd be a really cool topic where you know you could say how accurate the Bible is, and then compare that to to the next best thing, which would be, you know, Iliad from a manuscript perspective. So, Yeah, cool. hey, if you find something on that, give me a call back, because I'd love to hear it. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. All right. God bless you. You too. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts today. The number to call is 303 303- 6 
303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Christopher in Pasadena, Maryland. Hey, Christopher. What's going on, Pastor? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. What's up? My question's a little complicated. Um, my fiance and I, we've, we've known each other for well over about 10 years now. And if you can think of something to end an, a marriage, we've already done it to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we both attend the same church, um, and we just got an apartment together. We haven't been able to get married because of financial reasons. I'm, I know I've, I've watched the Lord provide for me several times, but this, this financial is like we're it'd be really, really hard to trust them on this. But we moved into an apartment together, and we're pushing off the wedding until everything is straight for a couple months. But the church keeps pushing us to separate. They keep saying, oh, you, she, you guys can move in. One of you can move in the basement, or one of you needs to move out. And they keep pushing on it. They keep pressuring us to separate. But mm-hmm. we are staying pure. We don't sleep in the same room. One of us will sleep on the bed. The other one will sleep on the couch, and we'll switch vice versa. And we are taking care of a, a baby as well. Do you have any input on should we really separate, or are we fine because we are trying to honor the Lord as best as possible? Yeah, so I I do think that it is better for you to separate for several reasons. One of them is that, um, you know, the whole idea with marriage is that you are making a commitment to each other. I know that you guys can make a commitment without having that be legal. It's possible to have a commitment, but I don't think it's possible to have the same level of commitment. And some people would say, you know, what's the whole deal? Why do we need a piece of paper? Can't we just make a commitment to each other? Does Isn't that more meaningful, actually? And I actually think it is actually more meaningful when you do take that step and you make it legal because you're essentially closing the back door on yourself. You're saying, I am cutting myself off from any opportunity to get out of this. You know, albeit there there is still an opportunity, people get divorced. Um, but you're making it a whole lot harder. And the other the other part is that you're honoring God in it. And I think it's really nice that your church is offering to not just tell you guys what to do, but they're offering you some solutions. It sounds like that's a it's a pretty thoughtful church you got there and, and pretty, you know, hospitable and generous. Here's kind of what I would ask you is what I understand the idea of wanting to have a wedding and kind of picturing that wedding and what it might be like. But here's another thing that I've uh, dealt with with couples who said, hey, we can't afford to get married right now, not in the way that we'd like to. Um, Here's what I generally advise them to do is get married and then you can have your ceremony later on. You can do it exactly the way you wanted to. Ultimately, that ceremony. Go ahead. That really wasn't that really wasn't the issue. Like the, the ceremony, we, we had already talked about that. Um, possibly just going to get married, and then after so many months, once we get everything established, we would have the pastor do the ceremony like we wanted to. But the yeah. problem would be it she gets financial benefits from the government being being a mother and all that, and if we were to legally bind it. By law, under mm-hmm. honoring the law, the the law of the land is who wants us to honor the law of the land. She loses all of those benefits, and me being the only income right now because the baby's so young, 
she loses all the all the benefits and then everything falls back on me and I don't make enough money to do that. Okay. Have you talked about that factor with your church? Because it sounds like yeah. that that sounds like that's the main issue here for you guys because it sounds like you want to get married. Here's the thing I really would want to tell you is that when it comes to honoring the Lord and doing what's right in the Lord's eyes, sometimes that comes at a cost. And sometimes that might be even a financial cost. And I would really encourage you to honor the Lord and and that it would, co- even if it costs you something, which in this case, it sounds like it will. It might affect the way that you live. It might affect uh, what you have to do to get by. I would bring that to your church. Say, Here, here's the real issue is that we're struggling to do this. I also, it sounds like you are living as if you are married I, I would also encourage you to make sure that you're not pushing that line where you're actually taking advantage of the social, you know, safety net in order to, uh, you know, by, by not getting married so that you can receive those funds. I also understand if it's a hardship. Oh, no, 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 we're not, we're, we're not doing any of that. We, we just moved into this apartment a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when my father passed away, she wound up leaving the one, one some, she was living with somebody at the church, but she wound up moving in with me to help with the family and all that, my father passing away and all that. And we wound up leaving from there and moving into an apartment. Like I said, we, were, we want to solidify this, but financially it's really, really hard. I, like I said, Pastor, I just wanted to get another opinion other than everybody at the church because yeah. I just felt like it was a lose-lose. And gotcha. I feel... What, and I, I know we can't trust our feelings, but I have feeling inside what I feel led to do, and I'm trying to do that. And I feel like the whole everybody in the church is against me, and I wanted to get another pastor's yeah. opinion. Okay, well, that that is help. my my opinion is I, I think that your people in your church are on the right track. And I'm going to just give you one scripture, and that is, you know, in the last chapter of Second Samuel, David is mm-hmm. going to make an offering to the Lord, and uh, somebody offers to give him these sheep and he says no I can't I can't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing and that what's implied there is this that to honor the Lord to serve the Lord sometimes comes with a cost and uh, and David said no I don't want to I don't want to avoid that I understand that part of worship is a cost that sometimes there's a cost involved and I guess this is really what I want to encourage you to do and and I would say and a very, very lovingly and gently, I would want to tell you that one of the ways that the Lord does lead us is through the body of Christ and through church and uh, and through other people speaking into our lives who also want the best for you. It really sounds to me like your your people in your church want the best for you and that they're trying to help you. So that's that's no, my I two cents. I, I think that they're I think that they're on the right track, and I really want to encourage you to honor the Lord and, and do the right thing. Okay. Well. Thank you, okay. brother. Thank you, you so bet. much. God bless you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Let's go to Dan in Maryland. Hey, Dan. Hey, Pastor. How are you doing? Doing great. Hey, hey, thanks for taking my call. I really just want to tell you I enjoy your show. Um, I just had a question for you. Are you familiar at all with a pastor out that way, um, the Midwest Methodist minister named Adam Hamilton? I am not. No, I'm sorry, I'm not. 
Okay. I'm looking I, him I, up as we're talking, though. So go ahead and keep going. Yeah, no, it's just what what happened was they're starting a, a, a you know, I, I, we go through Bible study stuff like that. But one of the books that they wanted to go through is a book from this gentleman, and just what I've looked at, you know, I, I guess he has a fairly good sized church, you know, out in the you know Midwest there, Methodist church, and uh, you know, I just some of his points of view on homosexuality in the church and things like that because. I don't know if you're, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with all the stuff that's going on, but, you know, a lot of the different ministries now are wrestling with that subject. And, mm-hmm. you know, try, try, I don't want to call it fracture in the church, but the church is becoming, to me, pretty fractured over this, this issue in a lot of ways. And I just didn't know if you knew much about him, but just it's seeming like what I've read on his points, he tends to lean more that way. And I try to be as Bible-based as I can. And, you know, I feel the Scripture is pretty clear about that, and, you know, it's about with ordaining ministers and all that type of stuff. So I just was trying to get your thoughts on him, if you knew any, and then, uh, you know, just pray for my church and that as we wrestle through this stuff. Yeah, so I actually do know him, uh, and it's funny, I actually know him uh, much better than I thought I did, and here's why, because my cousin lives in Kansas City. He's in Johnson City, Kansas, or Johnson County, Kansas. Um yeah which is Leewood, Kansas. So it's uh, Kansas. It's basically Kansas City. It's just the Kansas side of it. And I, I actually, my cousin is um, on staff at this church. And um, okay. I actually visited this church once. When I was out there, okay. I went to go see the Broncos play the Chiefs because it's actually <laughs> cheaper for me to drive to Kansas City to watch the Broncos play the Chiefs than it is to go down to Denver. So anyway, I uh, I stayed with my cousin in Kansas City, and I went to her church on a Sunday morning, not knowing anything about the church and not knowing anything about their positions. And um, yeah. and I actually met Adam Hamilton. Uh, she introduced me. She runs their video stuff. So anyway, it looks like and Adam Hamilton has written um, on the topic of homosexuality and the church. And of course, he is a United Methodist Church pastor. One of the yeah. um, looks like one of the largest United Methodist churches in the United States. And yes, sir. Uh, you know, I would say that my take on this, I, I'd really want to separate it from him and maybe just bring sure. it back to the topic. And, and let me ask you this. So you said your church is struggling with this. Are you part of a United Methodist Church? Is that the, is that why? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it seems to me that the United Methodist Church, you know, is um, they have gone, they have chosen as a denomination to go in this particular direction. And the churches which don't agree with them have, you know, some of them have stick, stuck around with the UMC and some of them have left. And uh, I know there yep. was a big, big bunch of United Methodists, former United Methodists who ended up joining kind of an Anglican uh, communion based off of an African diocese. And the reason they did that was because of this issue of homosexuality in the church. Um, here's what I would tell you. I think that if you really get down to what is driving this change in their theology and their change, um, it is driven primarily by culture and it is yeah, driven primarily by a desire to want to be appealing or palatable to our culture. And and this is an area where, you know, you can change your your uh, style. So I would say this, you've got your vertical and you've got your horizontal axes. Let's think of it in that sense, right? So yeah. the vertical is is, I would say, the ways that you connect with God and the ways that God connects with you. Right, and so I think that also includes doctrine. So that includes, uh, really, that those are the things which cannot change, and so the the doctrines. Now the question is, did 
Christians misunderstand this doctrine for almost 2,000 years. And, and actually before that, because you've got the Jewish tradition before that. And I think the answer is that you know, Christians very clearly knew what they were saying when they said this in the past, that they, they understood that the scriptures are not just talking about, um, well, I'll just dial back for some of our listeners. Here's kind of the big crux of the argument from the uh, United Methodist Church and a lot of these uh, denominations who are now affirming homosexual relationships. What they're saying is that, oh, well, you know, in the past, we read the Bible to say that homosexuality is wrong, but it wasn't actually saying that homosexuality was wrong. It was just saying that um, homosexual rape was wrong. And so, you know, and and obviously everybody would agree with that, right? So they look at Sodom and Gomorrah and they say, well, that wasn't so much homosexuality in the sense that we think of it today. That was actually rape. And which, which yes, it was rape, but it was, it was also a certain kind of rape. I think the issue with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is truly more of one about rape than it is about homosexuality. But when you get into issues like Romans chapter 1, where it actually is talking about consensual homosexual relationships. And the question right. is, is there such a thing as a monogamous, consensual homosexual relationship that God is okay with? And um, I think the answer from Christians throughout history, well, I know that the answer from Christians throughout history for 2,000 years has been absolutely no. not. Right. And, and so here's, here's the thing. I have recently been doing my master's in theology, and one of the things that you study is called theological method and basically just I'll make it really easy theological method is just how do you come to the conclusions that you come to everybody uses scripture we use tradition we use reason we use experience and we use our church community and the community at large meaning culture and so the way that we come to a conclusion is going to be based on the ordering that we give those things do we put tradition first or do we put scripture first do we put society and society's views above scripture or do we put scripture's views above society and and do we put the traditional view above society like how christians have traditionally interpreted the scriptures that's very important tradition's actually very important especially when it comes to things like the trinity you know we look back and we say well for 2000 years christians have affirmed that the trinity is a biblical doctrine therefore when i read the scriptures you know i i need to keep that in mind that people who have been reading the scriptures before me have this is how they've understood it after seeking the Lord for their entire lifetime. And, and I think the same thing is true when it comes to this issue of homosexuality. I think it would be uh, not smart for us to ignore 2,000 years of, of church history and people who were smart and who studied the Bible for their entire lives and said, no, this is clearly what it's talking about. And I think that in our, in our society right now, it's really just driven a lot by the culture at large. And I don't think that we can allow that to happen. I think that we need to put scripture above, above society's um, changing views. So, Amen, brother. I, I, right. I agree 100%. Amen. Okay, well, let me pray for you and your church, and, uh, and then yep. I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray for Dan. I pray for his church. I pray for all of our United Methodist brothers and sisters out there. Lord, I pray that you give them wisdom and direction. I pray that they would uh, truly hear from you and that they would truly discern your voice in this. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much, Pastor. Amen. Great Lord, hearing from you. All, you, all you. all the advice you've given me. It's a lot, a lot right. of good advice. Awesome. God bless you. All right. God all bless right. you.
All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie. We are coming up on our mid-show break. We've got a couple callers on the line. Hopefully they can hold through the break. And we've got one open line, so you can call us at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Uh, we do have a just a short time before the break, we've got a prayer request on the line, so I am going to pray for this prayer request in the short time that we have here. It's a person asking for salvation for their family members. I'm sure there are so many of our listeners who can agree with that prayer, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for this prayer request uh, for salvation for family members. Lord, we ask that truly you would bring light uh, where there has been darkness, Lord, that you would uh, take those people who have been in the binds of the enemy, Lord, and you would set them free. Lord, use our words, use our deeds for your glory that people might see who you are and come to faith in you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be back in two minutes' time right after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts on the air. Uh, We have some callers on the line, so let's just go directly to them. We've got David in Denver. Hey, David. How you doing? How you doing? Doing well. I, uh, I just wanted to, I guess, I've made three observations of friends and people around me that don't go to church. The excuses, I guess. Um, and it's, Probably the biggest one is is the hypocrisy, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, for a non-believer, um, it's it's a reasonable excuse for the for the believer who who believes in the Bible, reads the Bible, and says I don't go to church. Um, they're they're not extending. They're not extending grace to their brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, I think that there's some truth to that. Yeah, you know, I think there's some people who have who have been hurt, and uh, you know, I I mentioned something when I said my sermon. I said, hey, you know, I've been a, a senior pastor now for 13 years, and uh, man, I have been hurt. I've been stabbed in the back, stabbed in the front. Stabbed all over the place. I uh, I've been hurt, but I haven't given up on Jesus, and I haven't given up on the church. And I know that, uh, you know, for some people, I don't. I would never want to minimize that. You know, I think it's, I think it's really easy for us to say, hey, you need to just get over it, and pull yourself up, pull yourself together, and just get on with it and forgive and all that. I think some people really struggle with that, and I I think that we should be patient with them. I and I really think that we can show them grace by showing them patience, but also answering their questions and and really showing them that the word of god encourages them to do those things and also showing them how hey you know if you are going to hold on to bitterness really 
you know, you're really hurting yourself. And, and it's going to drive a wedge between you and God. And, you know, one of the reasons we see that, we see a couple parables about this. One in particular about the man who was forgiven a, a huge debt, and then he wouldn't forgive another person a smaller debt. And God essentially, in the parable, sends that guy to hell, which a very sobering uh, thought for us and you know and also even in the Lord's Prayer the being forgiven by God is tied to the idea of us forgiving others who sin against us and it is a very very big deal as you're saying but I my point is I think that we want to show grace to those who maybe don't show grace to others or maybe who've been so hurt that it's really hard for them to just get over it or move on or even forgive i think that so i I just think that we need to speak winsomely to those people and you know it's easy to say hey just knock it off or do this better i I think we need to show them why it is better for them and why uh, it's truly in their best interest to forgive and to get back in fellowship and to and to do these things so but I do agree with you. I mean, I mean, hypocrisy is a big deal. I think we have to recognize that. I mean, if 76% of people who took our poll said that hypocrisy was the number one hardest thing for them in embracing Christianity, the, the behavior of Christians and hypocrisy in, in particular, we, we can't ignore that, you know? And well, if it's a real thing that's keeping people from church, we, we really got to address it. So go, go ahead. I was wondering what the context of that hypocrisy is. You know, I mean, how sensitive are these people being towards what they, I mean, what's their definition of hypocrisy? Well, hey, that's a great question. You know, here's, here's one thing that we did a, we did a kind of, we started doing this thing um, in our church office. We're starting doing uh, these sermon extras where we, we have a studio here in our office and we film a little video where we talk about it. And that was exactly one of the questions was, so what exactly is that? Why are there hypocrite, hypocrites in the church? And the answer is this, is if you have a standard and you don't live up to the standard, by definition, you are a hypocrite. And so I think on the one hand, we have to own it. Hey, yes, you're right. There are times when we have been hypocrites. So number one is this, that if you have a standard, it's going to be hard to live up to that standard, right? And as Christians, we have the ultimate standard, right? Like God said, be perfect as I am perfect. So our standard is perfection. So guess what? We are going to fall short of that standard every single day. Does that make us hypocrites? Well, well, maybe, but maybe not. And here's why I say maybe not. is because a hypocrite, by definition, the word hypocrites in Greek, it literally just means actor, play actor. And it means, you know, think uh, somebody who wears a mask. So think like Phantom of the Opera, somebody wearing a mask as an actor. And the, the whole key, the whole point of that word is that it means it's somebody who's pretending to be something that they're not. But as Christians, that's not exactly what we're doing, right? Because we are, we should be the most upfront about the fact that we have fallen short. We should be the most honest people. We should be the quickest people in the world to admit our faults and to apologize for them and repent of them. You know, I, I loved the way that one of my mentors put it one time. He said, if you would follow me around all day long, you would be incredibly disappointed with me because you would see me fail and do things I shouldn't do and say things I shouldn't say and you'd be incredibly disappointed. But then you would be incredibly impressed because you'd see me get down on my knees and repent and seek God's forgiveness and and then seek out those people and ask them for forgiveness. So I think that we have to take those two things in balance. On the one hand, uh, we have a perfect standard 
as Christians, that is our standard. And so are we going to fall short of it? Absolutely. But we don't have to be hypocrites because being a hypocrite means pretending that we're something that we're not. And we, we absolutely don't do that. We admit our failures and faults. We should be the very first to do that and to apologize for them. Yeah, cool. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, so, awesome. Hey, I, David. Yeah. Thank I, you for calling I'm just calling looking in. at some of the, uh, a couple of the times, a couple times I have seen people call somebody hypocrite, and it's just, I mean, these are human responses to, you know, everyday events, but they're, they're labeling the people that they you know, that live in their neighborhood is hypocrites, and they don't want to go to that church because that hypocrite goes there. And the only thing I could really think was, I mean, it was it was an excuse because it was a total travesty. There was no grace being extended, or, I mean, it's like they were looking for an excuse to call that person a hypocrite, yeah. not to go to that or a church just because of it. Yeah, I think you're right, David. Hey, I'm going to I'm going to have to let you go because we're coming up yep. in the uh I got some other colors, but I just will say one last thing and I think you're right. So I think you're on the right track with that. In that uh sometimes it is an excuse and that was kind of what I ended with in my sermon on Sunday was saying that at the end of the day this whole thing about hypocrisy is what we call a trivial argument. So a trivial argument uh you know in the scholarly world means when you try to change the subject basically. Like if we're talking about one thing, like I'm talking about you know, reasons, proof for the existence of God. And then you're like, yeah, but my neighbor, I don't like him. And he's a hypocrite, so I don't want to go to church. Well, the, you just change the argument. It'd be like you're saying this. Hey, Albert Einstein, uh, what if we found out tomorrow that he was a kleptomaniac, right? Like he was addicted to stealing stuff from stores. Or or we find out that he was a serial killer. Uh, that's bad, but does that mean that uh, his math was not correct? No. So no. let's talk about the, the real issue Ultimately, all of us are going to stand before God, and you know what? God's not going to ask you, hey, what, what did your neighbor do with the, the gospel? He's going to ask you, what did you do with the news about Jesus and, and that he died for you and that he rose again? So, hey, David, I really appreciate the question. God bless you. Take care. Thank you. Listen, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church, Longmont, Colorado. We are... Uh, we have a few callers on the line, but we've got one open line. So if you'd like to call in, it's 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Let's go to Rosa in Westminster. Hi, Rosa. Hi. How are you, Pastor? Doing great. What's up? Okay. I have a question for you. Um, I was reading today in Second Chronicles chapter 18, mm-hmm. and um, I have a question on verse 20. Okay. So I don't know if you want me to go through it with you or if you're able to pull that up so you know what Yeah, I, I uh, have it up right here in front of me. Okay. In, the verse, in verse 20, it says, Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. And so my question is, it kind of sounds uh, to me as well as when um, the, you know, the enemy goes before the Lord in Job. Yes, I, I agree said, with you. Very similar. Mm-hmm. Okay, because it says the Spirit went to him. So it, 
it was a lying spirit and wanted to go and do its work that it's, you know, who it is. And so um, I just wanted to ask if, if I was, you know, though that's where my thought is. And so I just wanted to ask what your thoughts are. Oh, you're, you're totally on the right track. I'll tell you, that story is also found in First Kings chapter 22. Right, and a, right. a lot of people are confused and, by that. So, And I'll just give you kind of the some bigger context for any of our listeners who are like, I don't even know what they're talking about. Here's the story is that there was this king named Ahab and God had called Ahab to repent several times. But Ahab was one of the most wicked kings of Israel. So the northern part of Israel. And Ahab was, you know, super wicked. We read about him like in the, in first Kings there with Elijah, the prophet that Elijah was, you know, scared of Ahab and Ahab was just a, a bad, bad guy. So anyway, God keeps calling Ahab to repentance. Ahab is refusing to repent. In fact, Ahab essentially declared war on God by killing some of the prophets. Right. So, And then essentially God declares war on Ahab uh, and says, hey, no, I'm not going to do this because Ahab's kind of got his own army of, you know, prophets of Baal who's his, uh, you know, pagan god who he worships. And he's got this wife named Jezebel. And it's kind of funny. I mean, honestly, that's who Elijah was most afraid of was uh, Jezebel as opposed to um, even just Ahab. And so what happens is that, uh, you know, God keeps calling uh, Ahab to repent. Ahab refuses to repent. And finally, God uh, has pr pronounced a death sentence on Ahab. He says, I'm actually going to end this man's life. That That's how wicked this man is. And, and so Ahab... Uh, is determined to listen to the lies of his false prophets as opposed to the truth of God's prophet, Elijah. And so God allows this, this basically what, you, what you're reading there in Chronicles and then in 1 Kings is that this lying spirit. So this is a demon. Let's be clear on that. This is a, a fallen angel, a demon, a lying spirit, meaning not a, a good spirit. And this it's a lot like Job where we see, you know, the devil approaching God and saying, hey, can I do this? And God says, yes, I'm going to let you do this. And so essentially God is accomplishing his work and he's doing it by allowing this evil spirit to go and do what this evil spirit wanted to do. I think the way you can think of it is that, you know, it's almost like a dog on a chain, right? And uh, that God's it's not like evil spirits can just do whatever they want. That's what we see in Job. That's what we see here. The devil and the evil spirits, they, they don't have just free reign. Ultimately, God is even sovereign over them, and God uses them. They think that they're out doing you know, all these things, and ultimately, God is allowing them to do those things so that he can accomplish his purposes. And I think it's kind of a very cool picture of the fact that God is in control even over the bad things right. that he allows. And I don't see it as though as, as, as God is, you know, um, even having compassionate over them, but I really do believe that he does use them, and he allows that, you know, he allows them to do the work that they are, um, what what they know of, and also, um, um, uh, uh, and uh, where's my train of thought? I lost it here for a second. Now, also that... Um, He's going to accomplish his, you know, what he, what he's going to do. I do believe that. But yeah. okay, so I, I just kind of wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. Also, no, I think you're on the right track. Yeah. Okay. Also, can I ask you one more question? Quickly, yeah. What's up? Okay. Okay. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, and it said it talks about um, when you have passed on what the state of mind that you are in. And um, it says on here in um, 
And I just want to clarify it because I have a lot of people thinking other things, but it says here in uh, chap- in verse chapter 9, verse 5, it starts here. It says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Mm-hmm. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Mm-hmm. And this is my thought. You know, I have okay. a lot of people that have some that have passed on, and they'll say, oh, he's watching over you, you know, she's uh, whatever. My Bible, what I read here is that the Word of God says that they have no more memory. It says they have nothing done, any portion under the sun anymore. And that's kind of where we are. We're under the sun. And so if it says that their love, their hatred, and their envy is now perished, then why would, how would they be watching over you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, so here's, uh, the, here's what I would say to you on this topic. Um, you got to understand the context of... Yeah, yeah, no, the context of Ecclesiastes is, I think... Uh, I think a lot of people miss the real big picture of Ecclesiastes, and it's really so. Here's the here's the deal with the book. The book is meant to bring you to the point of despair. A lot of people are like, you know, they read it and they get kind of like bummed out, like, "Hey, why is this so depressing? Where is the light at the end of the tunnel?" And then they'll even try to hang on to that last verse in the book that says, you know, "Oh, hey, just uh, you know, do good and and love God, and that's the full measure of man's life." Yeah. But that itself doesn't give you any hope because of ver- of chapter 9. Because chapter 9, the whole point of this chapter is to say, everybody dies. Everybody dies. And, noth- you know, you're going to die. Like, you need to come to grips with that. And then when you die, you truly will perish. And, and you got to understand, he's speaking from the perspective of somebody here on earth about the deceased. And now, I don't think that this, is ne- this should be taken to mean that those who die do not live on, because clearly Jewish people did believe that, and we as Christians absolutely believe that, that your soul does not die when you die, that all of us have an no. eternal soul. The question is, where will your soul uh, exist for eternity? And that's why we need to put our faith in Jesus and, and believe the gospel so that we can have eternity with God in heaven. Uh, so my point is just this. This is from the perspective of earth. And I think the key to understanding Ecclesiastes is that it's meant to bring you to the point of despair, meant to bring you to the point of saying everything is vanity, everything is worthless, we're all just going to die, what is the point of life on this earth? And it does not give you the answer to that question. That answer is only found in Jesus. Well, I, so, I believe the Word of God, too, when he says in, you know, that when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. So Correct. I know that you, you know, your soul goes, you know, your spirit, your soul goes back to the Lord, but it goes yeah. to him. And that's a whole different place. You know, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with here on earth anymore. And my, and the way that I read the word of God is very, you know, it's clear to me. It's clear to yeah. me how it says, you know, when you're living, you know, when you're living, you have hope. But he says, even a dog is better than a dead lion that's alive. Mm. And so that's yeah. kind of, you know, I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that, because I believe exactly what the Word says. Sure. You know, when, you're, hey. when you leave this earth, you're done here. You have nothing under the sun anymore. Yes, I believe that if you die, you're present with the Lord, because I believe the, what the Word of God says. But right. a lot of people don't, you know, some people believe that, you know, it's, 
they're up there watching over you and all of these things, and it says nothing to that. Well, effect. okay. Rosa, I'm going to have to let you go. Um, okay. Thank you for calling in. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, just one last thought on Rosa's uh, call before we go to the next caller is just that the Bible does actually give us the hint of the fact that those who have passed away in the faith are watching us and cheering on. That would be found in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, where it talks about we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What that's describing is that those who have gone before us in the faith are essentially, it's almost like a stadium. That's the picture he's drawing, and they are surrounding us, cheering us on. And um, and yeah, but as far as having continuing to have dealings here on earth, I'm in agreement that that does not uh, continue. Let's go to Dennis in Longmont, who has a question. Hey, Dennis. Dennis, did we lose you? Yeah, I said thank you for taking my call, Pastor. Yeah, absolutely. What's up? Yeah, I, I hope I can put it in words. I was just put you on, it was just before the break, we were talking to a gentleman about his church, what was it, United Methodist or whatever, about the homosexuality thing. Yes. And you say part of it, and you, you said, well, you know, I'm going my master's and to, make it, to simplify it to everybody. It's like part of it, how you interpret it is by the Holy Spirit, prayer, the church body, and then the tradition of what the church did for all those years. Well, I was a Catholic at one time, and now, you know, I'm, I'm not, but isn't part of Catholicism? I mean, when Luther broke away with his, you know, he said these, these church different documents were wrong, but doesn't that go against what you were saying in the sense that, well, how Catholicism was, they had a thousand plus years of, of a background and their beliefs, but then Luther came in and said, hey, forget that, no good. But again, what you were talking to that gentleman, that was part of the way how you interpret scriptures with the traditions. Absolutely, and that is a very good question, Dennis. And uh, I just wrote a 60-page paper on that uh, about two weeks ah. ago. And I see, hey, you're, you're here in Longmont. I would be happy to share that with you, and it'll give you all the detail on how that works. If you want to give your email address to the producer, I'd be happy to share oh, that sure with will. you. Yeah, and I'll send it right over today. But here, here's the answer to your question uh, for you and for everybody listening is that there's a difference between those kind of so there's a difference we have to define what kind of tradition we're talking about and what we're talking about is interpretive tradition meaning and and again interpretive tradition and this was luther's point and it's the point of the reformers and the point of in my opinion every uh faithful bible believing christian is that i mentioned five things that are, are really factors in how we come to our theological positions right and my point, as I said to him earlier, was all of those five things kind of in some way contribute to how we come to the conclusions that we come to. But we have to decide the order that we give them or the priority that we give them over others. And that was my point, is that in the case of the UMC, what their United Methodist Church, what they are doing is in this issue in particular, they have taken society's view and they have placed it above Scripture. And my point is that we should take Scripture first, uh, and the clear reading of Scripture, that was one of Martin Luther's big beliefs and, and really one of the, the things that's true for Protestants. Protestants believe that God has given us clarity in the Scripture, which means that you can read it and you can actually understand what it means. And then the next thing is, well, okay, well, you, you might have, you know, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses. They also read the Scriptures and they say we get all of our beliefs from the Scriptures. But yet their beliefs are very different than the conclusions that you and me come to. And what, why is that? And how do we sort that out? Well, then another really important thing to keep in mind is tradition. Now, 
when we talk about tradition, we're not talking about traditional practices. We're talking about traditional interpretations of Scripture, how people have read Scripture and the consensus that they've come to over the years that they've agreed on. And Luther, by the way, absolutely agreed with that. Uh, you know, Luther, that was one of his big things. If you look at what he, he believed, he believed, for example, in the Trinity. He didn't even question the Trinity. He, he took it. The very fact that Luther believed that the Bible was the Word of God, that is based on uh, the traditional interpretation of Christianity for 2,000 years or for 1,500 years at his point. And so even Luther uh, absolutely did. There was a different kind of tradition which Luther rejected and which we should reject. And this was the tradition of things. And so the, the Catholic Church had this thing which they started to develop, especially in the Middle Ages, where they said, well, what if the Bible doesn't say anything about a subject, but our tradition says something about it? And this would be areas like purgatory. You know, well, what do we do with purgatory? Because we have this tradition that's developed where we believe in purgatory, and yet the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Then should we therefore believe in purgatory because of our tradition? And Martin Luther said, absolutely not. You should that's what the whole idea of sola scriptura, which is scripture alone, meaning that the scripture must be our sole source of theology. Does that make sense? So where scripture doesn't speak, we, we can't just go making up theology based on our traditions. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, yeah. And, and specifically, it was tradition, and, and when people talk about traditional interpretation, they're really speaking about what we call the patristic period, meaning the church fathers. So this would be the period from about 100 A.D. to uh, uh, roughly about 500 A.D. These guys like Augustine, Irenaeus, Tertullian. We want to see what did these guys have to say about it. Um, and, and that's that's really what we're talking about. So a lot of the errant things in the Catholic Church came about after the patristic period. Mm. Well, yeah, I, 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 you know what, and I'm not there to bash Catholics, but I just, when I heard that, I say, well, you know, that's what Catholicism is. They go with the, to the, the traditions of the Church, so you kind of like peck my interest on that. Yeah, no, I appreciate you calling in because it does, it, I'm sure that you're not the only one, so I, I hope that I got the chance to uh, explain that to some other people. Well, thank you for your time, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling in. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. We are coming up on the end of our show. I want to take the opportunity while I've got you here to invite you. If you are in the Longmont, Colorado area, we'd love to have you join us. You can find all the information, directions, and all that good stuff on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go to Michael in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Michael. Okay, uh, let's go to Nathan in Aurora, Colorado, online too. Nathan, are you there? Hello. Hey. Is this Nathan? Yes, how are you? Okay, I'm doing great. Good. Um, I just had a prayer request. Um, I'm just kind of struggling with my job right now. Things are uh, feeling harder, and I feel like there's unfair treatment from management, and I'm just trying to decide if I'm just, you know, giving into my flesh, wanting to leave, or if it really is a time for me to move on. Um because I don't want to leave if the Lord doesn't want me to leave. So, yeah, just wanted to pray for that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray for you. All right. Heavenly Father, I pray for Nathan, and uh, I pray for him in the regard to his job situation, Lord. I know that you know exactly what is the right thing. 
in the case of him and his job and if it's time for him to move on or if it's time for him to learn uh, patience. Lord, I do believe that you want to teach him something through this, uh, but I ask, Lord, that you would make it clear to him what that is. And if it's time for him to move on and, and look somewhere else for a job, we pray, Lord, you'd show him that and that you'd open the door before him. Lord, only you truly know his heart. You, your word says that we don't even know our own hearts perfectly. Our own hearts can deceive us. So Lord, as, I, as I pray for Nathan, as I pray for other people who are considering transition, maybe in their job or in other crucial parts of their lives, Lord, I pray that truly we would offer this to you in the sense of saying, Lord, we want your heart. We want you to reveal your will. Help us not to be driven by anything other than your spirit. Uh, help us not to yeah, be driven Lord. just by feelings or, or, or frustrations, but Lord, help us to be truly in step with you and what you want for our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hey, thank, thank you for you. calling. All right, bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. We are now within the last two minutes of the show. Um, this is, again, the show where you can call in with your uh, questions or your questions about the Bible or prayer requests. I'm going to be with you tomorrow, and I see that we have some text messages that I'm really hoping to address tomorrow as well. But let's see. Uh, if we have uh, a few more prayer requests that we can go to before the end of the show. So we have uh, one person who says, pray for me, I have an autoimmune disease. Or I'm sorry, my boyfriend has an autoimmune disease and uh, it's really affecting him. So Heavenly Father, we pray for this person and, and for the boyfriend uh, and whatever is causing this, Lord, whether it's some kind of irregularity in their body, Lord, we just ask that you would bring about healing in this person's life, Lord, that this autoimmune disease, that you would you would heal it, and that this relationship that's being affected by this disease, Lord, that you would bring healing, and that you would bring uh, really growth in this relationship for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. God bless you. I'll be with you tomorrow on Calvary Live from 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. See you then. been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.